Hello and welcome back to the One Take Show. In this episode, we are in conversation with Ambassador Anil Trigunayath. Sir is a retired IFS officer. He has previously worked as the Trade Commissioner to New York and as Deputy Head of Mission to Sweden, Russia and Nigeria. He has also previously served as the Indian Ambassador to Libya, Malta and Jordan. And he was also one of the leading members of the Indian diplomacy when we were forming those diplomatic relationships with Israel. And quite interestingly, in this episode, we talk about Israel-Palestine conflict and which is premised upon his wonderfully written article, Israel-Palestine conflict and unending saga, which has been published in Financial Express. And he has also spoken about this in a, in a panel discussion in CNBC TV. And in this episode, we talk about everything. We talk about the historical context, the reasons why this conflict exists today, what are the various ancillary aspects involved, what are the political reasons involved, everything. And this is one of the finest conversations that I've had on this podcast. And I'm sure you're going to love it. So if you do, like, share and subscribe to this channel. If you have any suggestions or feedbacks, write them down in the comment section. I would love to read them. With that, ladies and gentlemen, let's start the video. You want something? Go get it. Period. Hello, sir. Welcome to the One Take Show. It is truly an honor to have you back on the podcast. It's been a year almost since we've had a conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Thank you, Costa, for inviting me again. It was a pleasure last time, and I'm quite sure it's going to be interesting, even though we are going to discuss... Uh, a situation that is troubling. Right, sir. I think the last conversation was essentially one of the most celebrated conversations that I've had. Um, and Thanks. even for this time, I think the conversation that we're going to have, uh, your article in Financial Express that we that I specifically requested to discuss. And before, just before this uh, interview, I was actually watching your in, uh, panel discussion on CNBC TV. And I was trying to gasp the understanding of how grave, how complicated, and yet how uh, comprehensive this entire situation is. So beginning with that, so my first helm of the question is something that was asked to you in that panel discussion as well, is in 2021, you've categorically seen that Hamas is responsible for the initial phases of instigation. Why now is this conflict resurfacing and why is it taking such a tumultuous turn? Well, Kostov, you know, this this story goes back to over 100 years. That is in 1917, when the Balfour Declaration was made and they had decided that there will be um, a state. And then there was Sykes-Picot Agreement. Like in India, we had these various lines drawn by the British the same way they had done the Sykes-Picot Agreement. And in 1948, uh, due to the Holocaust and the Jews uh, being persecuted, uh, they were all brought into uh, the Palestinian territories and they were carved out and the state for them was agreed to. That was done in the United Nations and Israel became a nation. But then what happened is at that time, they also tried to evacuate a lot of people from there in order to settle them. So the Arabs, basically Palestinians, became outsiders in their own land. So in 1948, some of the Arab countries who had been custodians, so to say, of the Arab lands, including Jordan, Egypt, and others, they attacked Israel, right? the new, new state of Israel. And Israel at that time was not that very strong. But then in 1967, it took back the East Bank, uh, Jerusalem, the West Bank, 
and the Gaza Strip, which was not there with them, including Golan Heights and what. So this situation was like this, that today you have a state of Israel, which is a very, very strong state and the most powerful uh, military power, I would say, and a democracy in the Middle East region, no doubt about it. It is also a nuclear power. And it has been indulging uh, in uh, problems uh, or rather, uh, I would say, acrimonious relationship with Iran since 1979. It has had problems with Syria. It has problems with Lebanon. It has problems with the Arab world. But what we have seen is that the, the Palestinians have continuously been disenfranchised. Despite the effect, effect or efforts of the world uh, trying to arrive at a two-state solution where both can live side by side and Israel and Palestine both can have sovereign relationships, right? We had the Oslo Accords, we had the Camp David Agreements, uh, we also had several other attempts made by nearly 15 US presidents. Because see, why US is so important in this quartet, which was formed with US, Russia, European Union, and United Nations to mediate and create this Middle East peace process. It was a very complex issue. But the US was the most important because Israel only listens to the US. And it has the closest partnership and relationship with the US. So US was the major arbiter of security or peace in the region, while US continued to help the uh, Israelis. And this also became part of their foreign policy objective to ensure security for Israel in Middle East. But in the process, what Israel has been doing, despite the agreement, despite the Oslo Accords, despite the PLO becoming, uh, getting a little part of it in Ramallah and uh, outside West Bank, it had continued to occupy the territories that were not supposed to be occupied by it. Right, They were not part of Israel per se. They were occupied during the war and they have been under discussion. And you will be surprised that there have been nearly 300 resolutions in the UN. And despite that, nothing has happened, frankly. The Palestinians remain at the mercy as far as the security or the, their day-to-day -day living or day-to-day -day movement is concerned. And if you visit Israel, you will find it that uh, they don't have their own airport. They have to come through Tel Aviv airport. They don't have any border check posts. They are all manned by the Israelis. When you go into Ramallah, you just come across several. So the day-to-day -day life is also governed by Israel. But at the same time, Palestine, which is now Palestinian Authority, we call it, is based in Ramallah. At the same time, you have in Gaza, which is a small strip of about 365 kilometers on the Eastern Mediterranean. Now that has been, because Hamas, as you know, is a radical organization in a way which was uh, which was in 1987 uh, born in Egypt, essentially to fight against the uh, Egyptian, uh, against the uh, Israelis to liberate uh, uh, Palestine from them through radical means. Basically, that was what they said: we do not will destroy. But destruction of Israel became their main, main motto. Right. In 2006, the elections were held, where both participated, and Hamas actually won the election. Right. But the Palestinian Authority was not keen on it. And Hamas was declared by Israel, by EU, by UK, by Americans as a terrorist organization with which they will not deal with. So from 2007 onwards, there have been fights between Israel and Hamas on the one hand. And Hamas has continued to become stronger. 
Now, the immediate, most immediate uh, thing that we are in 2021 that we are talking about is that because, because of its policy of illegal settlements, bringing Jews from different parts of the world who are settling into it, put, settling them into the Palestinian lands, throwing the Palestinians out, evicting them, has been a norm, basically, which is illegal and has been decried by the United Nations Security Council many times. But it has not affected the Israelis. They don't care about it, right? They have not bothered about it. So then in, there is a place called Sheikh Jarrah, which is just outside the walls of Jerusalem, right? Now, this was earlier under the uh, uh, command or rather control of uh, Jordan at that time. But uh, so 1948 to 67, it was the Jordan. And during that period, several people who were Palestinians who had migrated from different parts or displaced, they were settled there in that land. But 67, this land has uh, total West Bank came and, and Jerusalem was totally controlled by Israel. It came in their uh, control. And therefore, what they started, uh, as like elsewhere, they started removing the Palestinians who had been living for their hundreds of years also. And it was basically, uh, I mean, if we don't go into mythology, uh, for hundreds of years, the Palestinians have actually lived in those lands. So the Israelis, the Jews were brought. Now, this time what happened, they wanted to ev evict four families. And uh, they said that this land was actually bought by some Jews at one time. Uh, and it belonged to them. And they went to the court and court gave the order that, yes, please ask them to go. And that's what created, and it was the Ramadan period, a large number of Muslim Devotees were at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Now, Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem is also the third holiest mosque for the uh, Muslims. That is the mosque from where uh, Prophet Muhammad went up to the heaven, right? So it has a tremendous significance. And during this period and otherwise also, uh, a lot of Muslims come there. Now, as you know, Jerusalem is the holy city. And it is the one of the holiest cities in the world where all the three Abrahamic religions, the Jews, the Christians, or the Muslims, they all have their roots, frankly, in that area, in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem has tremendous importance for all the three religions. And one would have thought that Abrahamic uh, religions, they would live together. But this has not happened for uh, different political reasons or geopolitical reasons. And therefore, when they wanted to... Uh, if we evict these people from Sheikh Jarrah and Salwan and other places, then there was a fight that occurred and it went to uh, the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque where thousands of uh, Muslims were praying there. There the police uh, put pressure on them, harassed them, controlled them, refused them to go to, uh, to, to one of the gates. The names, names of the gates in that place like Herod's Gate, the Damascus Gate, like that. So near the Damascus Gate, uh, they prevented them and they used bullet, bullets and all that. So this is what uh, caused the problem. And then the uh, Arabs in Israel also, they started to fight with the Jewish Israelis. Right? So Jews and Arabs for the first time who are Israeli citizens, there was a separate fight going on between them. Then at that time, Hamas wanted to take over the leadership and they threatened on 7th of uh, this month the Israelis to vacate the Al-Aqsa premises, otherwise they will attack. And by the evening, they sent about 200 rockets uh, into uh, Israel, especially the southern part of Israel. 
And that's when we have seen uh, that the, and uh, Israel is a very powerful state and it reacted heavily and pounded them. The first day itself, uh, it had uh, killed about 10 of their Hamas commanders and several leaders and decimated the place, which is not a surprise. So we are at the position there, the whole world is talking that somehow it should be removed, it should be cooled down, there should be peace uh, or at least de-escalation. But at the moment, uh, I don't see uh, Israelis uh, trying to uh, go down uh, even one notch uh, in bringing about the calm. But situation is really getting out of hand and therefore there's a greater pressure even from the Americans uh, to contain Right. I mean, this, first of all, thank you so much for that answer. So I think that somehow summarizes and very comprehensively describes whatever has happened over a period of time from the very inception and also what has uh, led to the current situations as well. So I think this gives me an opportunity to ask you something that you mentioned uh, just now, that there has been an internal strife in Israel as well. There has been Arab Israelis fighting with the Jewish Israelis and uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu not necessarily being able to find a consolidated majority to form uh, the absolute government that they need. So, and Hamas then finding their relevance in the uh, other regions, surrounding regions, slowly increasing their uh, provenance around. So, in this particular context, the level of alliances that are now being affected, how do you see Israel being uh, either being in a more vulnerable situation or being in a better fighting situation uh, with all the other forces that are present around them? Well, you know, we have to look at it, and as I have written the article as well as I maintain it also, that, you know, uh, if you have uh, a foolhardy leadership, uh, sometimes you may end up in a bigger problem than you can come out of it. Now, it is coincident, not coincidental, I would say, but what happened is that uh, last couple of months, we have seen that Hamas and Fateh, which is in the Palestinian Authority uh, political organization, they have come together and they have realized that since the cause of Palestine was not going anywhere as they were divided among themselves, so they thought that, okay, after 15 years, let us get together and try to contest the elections and probably try to form a unity government so that we can negotiate for a Palestinian state better. That was the essential idea. For the first time in 15 years, they agreed to work together on that. But then the current president of Palestine, Mr. Abbas, uh, really has a weak hand. He's old and there are break in, breaks in the party, splinter groups, and uh, you know he's having international issues as well, some corruption issues as well. So I think that uh, people are really fed up with his way of working. So he thinks that he might lose the elections there. And therefore Hamas, which, is, which was earlier last election, they have won, they have a popularity. So this time when this situation happened, Hamas, uh, and, and in the meantime, what happens is Israelis refused to allow the Palestinians to vote uh, in the election if it happened. Saying that we don't have a permanent government right now, we can't take a decision on this issue, right? So it suited Abbas. And what he did was he postponed these elections, which was supposed to happen after 15 years and could have brought some kind of a stability in Palestine and even for the Israelis. But since that happened, they suited him, he canceled it. And therefore that uh, group is split between the two Palestinians again. And Hamas thought that this is the right time. Now that the Palestinians are, uh, is, are being evicted uh, from Sheikh Zara and others, and there is 
discontent uh, and uh, in the uh, there is a discontent and there is a discontent uh, on the Alexa mosque and people are being frustrated and there are the injuries so that's why they took the lead and then they threatened the israelis but they also know the israelis are not going to go back just because there is a threat israel is very powerful they know it but they have morally won in this whole thing even if they have lost a <clears throat> large number of people they have got political victory in the sense that they have got the, the faith of the people that they are standing for them on the other hand if you come to look at it in palestine in israel also a very similar situation there have been four elections in two years they have netanyahu this time has not been despite being the largest party was not able to uh, stage an alliance political alliance so he had he staked the claim but he could not form the government and therefore his uh, other partners or other political parties were trying to make the government including with the help of the arabs arab party which is constitutes what 20% of the population they are israeli citizens <clears throat> so then <clears throat> what happened is that um, he for now look at it from this one's perspective netanyahu's you see he gets an opportunity to tell his people that look i am the one who has been there 12 years saving you and is the only one who can save you so he went all out and started bombing all the places in gaza and pounded it and continues to pound till today making all kinds of incendiary statements of course both sides to be blamed for it hamas because they started this and uh, israelis because they have never lagged in inflicting uh, damage or killing people and you can see now more than 200 uh, or 212 or something 220 uh, uh, palestinians have died 67 children uh, out of them you have 10 uh, israelis who died from these uh, rockets but there's no comparison between rockets and uh, and the missiles or the air strikes that israel has you know that this country is the gaza a small enclave enclave is really surrounded and blockaded from all sides is the only one uh, to egypt it has a, <clears throat> a crossing and one is into uh, israel which they don't allow them to come in so there is a problem humanitarian crisis is occurring water electricity deaths uh, diseases everything is happening and one is listening these things from various un organizations which are still operating so israel has decided that they will go all out and basically really annihilate the hamas outfit especially the military wing so that it is not able to uh, gum, you know attack them again this is the intent at the moment but they forget that these kind of movements do not die away just like that even if people die you see this is an idea of palestine that needs to be sorted out rather than simply the people or killing xyz or 10 people they will all rise the new generations have come and they are fighting because they they feel there is injustice has been done to them there is a trust deficit between both sides so so ordinary civilians both from the among the jewish communities and the muslim communities have been suffering in this case right so i think one thing that you mentioned i think it is important that i uh, ask you a follow up question here is that israel deciding to go all out israel deciding to completely disseminate any mm-hmm. such possible options that might arise in future you remark it as something that will not necessarily kill the cause it may kill the people but the cause for the palestine will still survive 
but if i were to be a devil's advocate if i were to argue on behalf of israel and there has been a huge debate in indian diaspora as well uh, we may look at twitter or anywhere else there is a divide when people say one that israel is using disproportionate power it's causing <clears throat> disproportionate destruction the other is that israel is just defending itself that is how any strong nation would defend itself so what is your take on it is israel crossing a line or is it just defending itself you see the thing is that those who are commenting in my view do not have a sense of history i mean who are we talking about you see every country has a right to defend itself israel definitely has a right to defend itself but defend and follow up with what the kind of firepower the kind of destruction which is evident even if uh, i mean to a blind person that you can see that what is happening on that side you see the numbers of that i mean compare 10 here and more than 200 there you can imagine this is 20 time more destruction which is happening in a small territory now how do you justify that that can go into a different direction and i think that uh, by taking this decision they could have probably stopped it after two days because see bahamas uh, with the guidance of qatar and egypt had agreed to uh, the mutual uh, ceasefire and they sent the russians brought that proposal last week to netanyahu which he uh, turned down he said no i will not do that what is this that first you shoot at us and then you want the ceasefire so he continued because his objective is very clear his objective is political and military political in the sense is that he is gaining that brownie points with his people that i am the strongest person you must bring me even though he is now uh, being legally challenged for corruption charges and all that you know you know that about that he will be probably prosecuted and that's why he doesn't want to be in that situation so it is normal for a leader or a politician to do that but at the same time at what cost cost to your own people this time unfortunately we have also indians also lost one woman one indian woman was killed in ashkelon Uh, from the gaza rockets and we have condemned that violence both from gaza and excessive use of force by israel both indian government has clearly said but at the moment now that you have achieved your objective i don't know he doesn't think that he has achieved the objective as yet but you if you see the history since 2007 8 we have seen there have been several fights between um, israel and hamas right the battles the wars but every time Hamas has come back more stronger in its firepower and its capability. Israel, of course, is technical giant, technological giant, military technology. But at the same time, it is giving, you know, it is keeping them engaged. And that idea of Hamas for Palestine is continuing to grow. So what you are doing is by doing all that, you are creating a much bigger rivalry of people who will hate you more, even who have lost their kids and kids. you know so this is unending kind of a violence uh, now or tomorrow you never know so it's very difficult that there is a you make a surgical strike you have conveyed your point you do the thing stop back that could perhaps be a better policy but it comes from the deep seated mistrust of each other hatred i would say that is what is driving it right right and i think what you've mentioned about the political mileage that has been drawn by the prime minister especially in the tumultuous state that his political government is in right now and his political power is in right now and uh, the disproportionate reaction that they're giving out 
I think with a historical context to it, it completely justifies why this should not happen or why people or most of the countries are asking for de-escalation or asking for immediate, uh, for example, India has issued a statement of immediate de-escalation of the conflict. But what is interesting here is to note, sir, what role United States is playing right now. For example, the United States recently blocked the uh, the UNSC uh, condemnation of the violence by Israel. It is still continuously selling it there. They have not terminated the agreement to sell the uh, weapons and the artillery to Israel. And they've still maintained a pretty strong situation comparing it to what the previous, previous stand of USA was during Trump and now with what Biden is. So in your perspective, with the situation at hand, how do you see United States playing their role in this entire situation? You see, the United States role, especially in the past four years, I would say, I mean, literally every president, US president, per because of their own internal domestic considerations and the very strong Jewish lobby and the fact that they have always been a supporter and security provider for the Israelis, uh, that is their foreign policy pr- uh, priority. So they have always supported it, irrespective of which regime in uh, Israel or which uh, president in the United States. But during President Trump's time, uh, he tried several things, I mean, some good, some bad. But he also created uh, some conflicts in the Middle East, at the same time tried to bridge them. But as far as the, uh, the Palestine-Israel conflict is concerned, I think that he did a great disservice. And that disservice was recognizing Jerusalem as the de facto capital of uh, Israel and shifted his embassy there. Now you know the embassies, whenever they are shifted or, or made in a particular only capital city of the country, right? So what you have done is all the agreements, all the UN Security Council resolutions, the 300 out of them, all that put together, your own agreements with which you agreed for two-state solution with East Jerusalem as the capital have all gone to uh, out of the window. And Israel is very happy. They just controlled it. As such, they were physically controlling it. But today, they control it legally. They think this is theirs. It's not going anywhere. And then he came up with a deal of the century. It was expected from Biden because he's a very professional uh, foreign policy expert for decades. And he has an excellent professional team that they will make resolving the issue, not taking sides per se, resolving the issue to the best possible manner. But they have been uh, really uh, bogged down with their own domestic situation. You know, so he, he is looking at the two year ahead. There are these Congress elections for, and they want to get majority there and things like that. Plus COVID, there are the couple of domestic challenges that US is facing. So uh, Palestine, and this was not on their uh, radar at the moment. Whereas the Palestinians thought that maybe once we have our own elections, joint elections, we can put up a joint front and there might be a, a conference, international conference like the Madrid conference that can be organized and in which uh, some solution to the problem or with the two-state solution could be found. I mean, that was their hope. Mm-hmm. But in the last 100 odd days, we have seen that they have not. But they, I think that even the uh, Americans have been taken by surprise. And that is why today their General Austin, the defense secretary, yeah. said that you know, this could go out of hand. I mean, this is, uh, uh, this should be stopped. And this should now, even Biden is telling, he called uh, Netanyahu, he called Abbas, he has spoken to everybody, he's trying to do that. And it is only, as I said earlier, only the Americans can do that because Americans also sustain their economy, they sustain their military, uh, they, they provide the 
the latest technology and technological edge to them. Secondly, what Trump did good was that he tried to create a some kind of a, 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 a rapprochement between the Arabs and Israel, which was needed. I have always believed that they have to live together, all Israel, Arabs, Palestinians, everybody. You know, so there was this Abraham Accords that were signed. And frankly, the name Abraham Accord was only given because it, they considered that the, all the three religions, Jews, Christians, and Muslims were involved in that. Christian was the, himself. Jews were Israeli, the Tanyahu and company. And UAE is the Sheikh Zahid. So like that, he tried to create that with the four countries. So when they have created this uh, 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 rapprochement and the Saudi Arabia and everybody is going along with it, Qatar. I mean, most countries in the Gulf, especially, were looking at a regional security within themselves. You know, so that was that that was something that was happening. But if you come to think of Hamas, the, which countries are supported by uh, Hamas is supported by? You will see Hamas is supported by Qatar. Hamas is supported by uh, Egypt, Turkey. So those are the countries that are supporting Hamas, even though it's a small and doesn't have a, that kind of fighting capability. But at the same time, but then Qatar has been playing uh, a mediatory role between Israel and Hamas also uh, in the main part. So things have been moving, but there have been fights 2014. You know, they lost 2,000 people. Israelis lost 67. So every time they have some kind of a surprise element in the world. I believe that this is for the Americans now. Congressmen are, are writing. A lot of congressmen are pressuring uh, Biden into it. Now he's coming around also. And I believe that uh, they will be persuaded, pressured, uh, both sides. I mean, it is not that the 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 or the Hamas is innocent. It is not. Uh, but at the same time, I think both have to come down and eventually let them have uh, a discussion on how this thing can be permanently resolved. And for that, a dialogue is absolutely a must. They have to sit down to the negotiating table. And I hope that whichever government in uh, in um, Israel is must be as sensible as the earlier ones. There were some governments, which that's why we got to Oslo Accords, we got to the Camp David Agreements and the other uh, plans. So, it, because nobody can afford a war, continuous war, or a state of war. You know, we might, the war might end, but the state of war continues, then you are still uh, uh, where you were. There's no difference. Because you have to be 24-7 on your guard all the time. And this is the problem in, uh, in Israel. Today, everybody is scared. As you know, the, you see the, the things, everybody is running into the bunkers every two minutes because there are thousands of these homemade types. I mean, they are not very sophisticated rockets. They can't do too much damage, but at the same time, they are still a nuisance uh, and they can damage, they have killed people. So this is something that we have to, uh, the international community and the UN Security Council, frankly, has not ha really uh, has been a bystander. They just can't do it. So there is a call now by some countries, I think Niger and Algeria, to have a UN uh, General Assembly meeting, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but General Assembly meeting to do that. So in this process, I believe that uh, by doing so, Israel has, I, or not Israel, I would say, Prime Minister Netanyahu, has created a rift between himself and his Abraham Accord partners also. Because those leaders who want to have very close ties with Israel all the time, and they've been growing very fast. Now, from the there is a resistance from the street. The Arab street is recharged because of this, in my view, a rather silly move. 
like that is that is a very interesting take sir because uh, at the end it somehow also answers my preconceived question about how effective can these international organizations really be or even if united uh, united nations takes a cognizance or unsc uh, passes out a comment or a request or any commandment with respect to the accusations or the uh, or the various violence that is taking place how effective can it really get so now with respect to the entire issue with the escalation that is happening almost every day and the prospects of war becoming uh, more and more real a full out full blown war becoming more and more real in your opinion how bad can it get if things uh, keep escalating the way they are right now well i i don't know i mean uh, it's i'm not really don't know how there what is the military tactic uh, or is there for both the sides but hamas also has to realize well like today the qatar foreign minister spoke to the amr leader wing secretary general of that group uh, the uh, egyptians have been talking to them because they have opened uh, uh, their crossing uh, the turkey is uh, asking hamas to because they are the three who have control over hamas us has sent its uh, special envoy hadi amar who is there now today he met abbas the president abbas as well so there are efforts on all sides they have met the israelis already the israelis have begun to say that hamas has to stop is the volley first i have a feeling that this will this um, may another two days or a day or i think something like that there would be some sort of a ceasefire or a de escalation as they call it because uh, i think that hamas uh, the 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 israelis have been able to achieve their initial military objective that is degrading uh, the capabilities of hamas to hit back significantly and it will take them time to reconstruct uh, their country once again and uh, i think the next two days we might see more heavy fire and then they will probably just decide either to motor they might say cease fire of themselves or both sides because see they cannot carry on forever the whole international community going ahead but even if there is a cease fire that is not the end of it because the end of it will only happen when the two uh, state solution is implemented for that it is important that us and other countries get together and try to organize this conference that they have been asking for israel is not in favor of it so much because it gets uh, cordoned off in this whole thing because it's today is the controller of the whole situation tomorrow he'll have a sovereign state next door which he'll not like but there is no other solution so individuals are important only a certain part of history but not the whole of history so there will be other leaders mm-hmm. there will be others who will try to think rationally that peace is the best dividend that you can get out of the foreign policy so uh, i think that the israelis will have to uh, sit back and take a call especially their military and uh, political establishment people i i know israelis they don't want violence on an average they also think that okay why not I'll let the palestinians stay happily in their own land there is no problem i mean as you know the 20% palestinians comprise and they are looking after the healthcare sector and hospitality and all kinds of things they are looking after in the country but they live in a sense of a fear because there is a distrust and this is after a very long time or i i think that we have seen the riots there in the country which was not the case earlier so he is facing an internal dissent he is facing an external aggression and the more you go into it the more it will recoil and that is why it is important that uh, 
the peace, uh, I mean, overtures for peace have to come. And, and this has to be those, those agreements that one has, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are various agreements to which both sides have been party to it. Let them try to implement it. Right, sir. And I think this is perhaps the most comprehensive answer I've received to any concern and any question that I've asked on this podcast. Um, as my last question, perhaps the last query, a very uh, a childlike curiosity that I've had is something that I've uh, come across on Twitter. One of the very celebrated journalists said that Israel-Palestine conflict is no more a religious conflict. It is anything but a religious conflict and any political wing should refrain from making it a religious conflict anymore. So would you say that it is now everything but a religious conflict? I don't know. I mean, you can call it ethnic, if not religious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, but at the same time, I mean, you know, what what, uh, really sometimes baffles me, and I have been to Jerusalem and all these places many times, that you know, the, all the three religions, the Christianity, Judaism, and uh, uh, Islam, they are all Abrahamic religions. The roots are very similar. They very ca- carry and respect each other's history. They really flows from one or the other like that. And therefore, uh, it has happened in the past. We have seen what happened. And there is actually, if you go, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is there. But they say it's a Temple Mount. So under that, there is a wailing wall where all the Jews go there and... Uh, Worship and there are tunnels there, and this. So likewise, there is Jesus Christ uh, is buried there. He carried his cross in Jerusalem. So when you see these things, what what you find? You find that if we go back too much into the history, right, and think of it, it religious conflict is it is religious in the sense if you put it as Jewish versus uh, the Islam, but it is not Jews versus Islam because it's not the whole of Islam. But it brings in the Islamic factors when a powerful state attacks. A, a weakened state. You see, that's when the religion becomes an important aspect of your personality and identity. And that's when all the Islamic world, you will say now, has condemned it. They have all risen uh, against uh, Israel and all that. Even though the leadership there is trying to think more sanely that, you know, it will go away. They don't like Hamas. I'm, let me tell you, most of the Arab countries don't like Hamas, like the uh, Palestinian Authority or the Israelis. But it's a fact of life. In every country, there are multiple political parties, the right wing, left wing, and some of the extreme right wings are as bad as the uh, terrorist organizations or extremist organizations themselves. Sometimes it happens. So even in a democracy, you can see the kind of situation that prevails. And that's why it could be ethnic cleansing. I mean, people say that there is all kinds of, uh, you know, verbiage is being used by the International uh, Criminals Court, which uh, Israel is not a member, but they have charged Israel against the human rights violations and the war crimes. So I would say that uh, religion is used conveniently, that we are under threat. That is a political convenience in my view, and not necessarily uh, the truth. But when Al-Aqsa Mosque, a non-Christian, a non-Muslim person goes and threatens them, or does not allow them to assimilate Jews or something. So then obviously you can see that they will consider, oh, these are the other religion people are defiling my religious practices and my religious uh, symbols. So that's something that is, that it is used very conveniently religion. It, it could be in the tribal age, it is possible. But today, I think they, it is more uh, the quest for their identity. As far as the Palestinian concerned, their own state, 
And as far as Israelis are concerned, they want a security for themselves. So all these efforts they have made is to secure themselves to the extent that the Palestinians who really don't like them do not attack them again or do not undermine their... So this security for peace formula has to work together for a two-state solution with the help of the international community. Fair, fair. It is a convenient, uh, not necessarily a truth. Wonderful. So thank you. Thank you so much for this amazing, amazing conversation. We've covered almost everything. There's a brilliant article, Israel-Palestine Conflict and Unending Saga. It is linked in uh, the description of this video for all the viewers who are watching this. Also, uh, the panel discussion that Sir was a part of. Uh, is also linked in the description. But thank you so much, sir. I am truly grateful for this thank opportunity. You, I want peace for both of them. I, I like Israelis. <laughs> I have a lot of Israeli friends. I have plenty of Arab friends. I've been to both the countries. Mm-hmm. And I really want them to live in peace, you know, because it's such a right. beautiful place. And people are lovely, all both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, this mm-hmm. is the unfortunate part, that the politics has taken the toll of it. Uh, I... Right now, I am just trying to understand and grasp all the information that I've just received. And uh, from the various angles, the conceptual understanding that I've already received. And uh, I'm sure like anyone who's watching this video would necessarily now need to go and further research on everything because this issue has become a very close to home and something that we, at least the students, need to know everything about. And what better source to learn about it from but you, sir. Uh, thank you so much for joining this conversation. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure, Prostov, and stay safe. Take care. Thank you so much.